Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today I'm, we're very lucky to be joined by Andrew Dermilio. I think I got that right. You did. I did. Nice. Brilliant. There we go. First time lucky. Um, actually, for the audience, obviously, what I've been talking about uh, probably in a couple of episodes previous, actually, was something called Ramda. Um, and a couple of the blog, well, a couple of blog posts that I touched upon, like I think I put in the show notes before already. But one of them was from Andrew. And I thought to myself, well, you know, might as well give it a shot. See if, you know, maybe Andrew wants to come on the show. I really enjoyed his blog post and fortunately replied back and, and said, yeah. So we've got Andrew on the show and it's really good to have you on. How are you doing, man? Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and thank you again. I was, was talking off air, but saying, you know, the mid Monday lulls for you uh, <laughs> in Eastern time. Well, number one Eastern time in Toronto for you, whereas it's like six for me. So I'm just finished in the day <laughs> off, but you, you've got still half a day, but I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got um, my coffee. I'm good. Well, there you go. Exactly. You know, not what I like to start off is kind of a really easy question. Like, how did you get into programming? Mm-hmm. What drew you into this profession? Yeah. I, so, I mean, growing up, I was always kind of, I loved computers. I loved finicking with them. And I, I knew pretty early on that, you know, I would have a career in them. So, you know, after high school, I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I went off to study computers in college, um, specifically because I was eager and I didn't want to get a degree. I wanted to just learn and, and jump right into it. So I learned a lot of C++ and .NET at, while I was in college and kind of throughout that process, I kind of became a little, you know, not so much loving it by the end of it. So I ended up graduating college and not being terribly excited by a lot of the jobs out there. So were they all C-sharp jobs and things like that, very corporate? Oh, yeah. A lot of of enterprise, .NET, C-sharp that, you know, looked okay, but it wasn't really what was exciting me. Why scratching your itch, yep. Not why you got into it in the original place, like why you loved it at the beginning. And and a big early part of it was, I mean, this would have been like, you know, early 2000s. And I was excited about the web. But I mean, throughout my college program, I mean, most of my teachers were kind of hidden at, hidden at me like, you know, this this whole JavaScript stuff is kind of a joke. It's it's all going to be action, uh, Flash by the time you graduate, so you're probably going to want to learn that. That's it, yeah. That, uh, but, and before that, it was all about Java and Java app. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, yeah. The, both were fun times back in college. But, I mean, I was kind of disenfranchised from the web at that point. So I didn't want to do Flash. I didn't want to do .NET. So I ended up graduating college, and I kind of got a JavaScript, very basic JavaScript job at a market research company, kind of just building online surveys, Um and I kind of stuck at that for like five years. And then around uh, the five-year mark, I kind of reassessed my career. It's like I love computers, but I, I really my passion is creating things that are really easy for people to kind of plug into. And as, you know, those five years working in market research, you know, I was seeing things like jQuery come out and, and seeing the web really blossom into an amazing um, delivery platform for anybody to, to, to really put something yeah, out like there maturing and all that like it was able to kind of yeah get more ground oh yeah and, and and it was exciting so i was kind of watching from the sidelines and yeah at that five-year mark i kind of just reassessed what i was doing and i knew a little bit of javascript 
Um, didn't know a whole lot because I wasn't doing too much crazy stuff with it in my online survey job. But I ended up, you know, waking up one day and kind of just quitting that job and taking some like six months off. And I kind of just locked myself in my basement and, and forced myself to learn AngularJS because I saw there was a lot of job opportunities in Toronto around the time related to that. So I took a chance and, you know, a year and a half later, it, it, I'm working at a Java, JavaScript consulting company, Wrangle.io out here in Toronto. And it's, it's been a blast. That's awesome. So, so what, what, what resources then did you, because I mean, like in those five years, what type of JavaScript were you dabbling in? Was it just vanilla JavaScript? Was it like high level, like jQuery, et cetera, backbone stuff? Or was it just, just little bits and bobs? It was a little bit of the jQuery stuff. That would be really exciting when I got to play with that. I mean, we were working within a .NET application. So Lovely. .NET, <laughs> you, couldn't get, you couldn't get away from it that you much, you know. You get away from it. So you'd be building these surveys within this .NET kind of um, application. And sometimes you need to hook in custom logic to surveys, like maybe this numeric box needs to apply a little bit of um, logic. So that's when I would get my hands dirty with JavaScript right in just little functions that I could apply to components of a bigger .NET application. So just vanilla, not using any really cool libraries and not doing anything too complex with it. So just a little bit. So I, I definitely did need to supplement my learning. So in that six month that I kind of, from quitting my job to getting a JavaScript development job, um, I spent a lot of time, you know, just devouring the internet in terms of blog posts, um, books, uh, videos when I could use them. And it turned out I spent a lot of time actually on the website Front End Masters. That seemed to be uh, one that for me was just, just happened to work really well. It does uh, hit the right spot, doesn't it? It's a straight, it really does. I found that too. It's got some really good resources on there. I mean, I remember watching um, one of the first things I watched. I, I didn't know exactly which framework I was going to get into. So I, I know Ember, Backbone, and Angular were kind of what I was up against. And I, I did like a code school on a little bit, a few hours on each of them, just to kind of whet my appetite, see what one I really wanted to invest maybe a month into. Um, and for me, Angular obviously shines at kind of, you know, kind of creating a little bit of magic right out of the gate, get you excited about the framework. And then you kind of learn to get frustrated with it later. Um, but that's just a good time to augment your understanding of the framework too. But um, so I utilized... Uh, Angular just because it seemed to work really well. It did a lot of cool things for me and it also was very opinionated so in a way I was learning all these really important JavaScript best, well not best, but yeah, best practices that were kind of being forced on me through Angular but um, this was a really good opportunity I didn't know this at the time but to kind of learn what all these high level things like dependency injection and unit testing and all these specific factories and services like all these cool ideas, singletons that I would have kind of like maybe stumbled on if I didn't attack yeah. um, first. I mean, that's a really interesting thing you say there where, where you say, you know, that it is opinionated. And actually, I feel, you know, people kind of, some people really don't like opinionated frameworks and things like that. But as you say, like going into a, like a language or even a brand new paradigm framework, stuff like that, it is quite nice to just know, okay, this is how you're doing it. And, you know, again, picking up those good practices that way. Oh, exactly. And that's exactly what I wanted. I, I didn't know. And I needed somebody to tell me what I need to know to, to build great Angular apps, but then to also take that with me to other frameworks or vanilla JavaScript later on and be able to apply those same concepts. For me, I got a, a, Angular nailed that for me. And 
that was really awesome. So are you still using Angular then in the day job at Wrangle.io? That, that's the de facto framework of choice. Uh, it, 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 so when I started here, that was majority of what we were doing. Um, hybrid, mobile, desktop, in Angular. Um, over the last six months or so, we've, we've definitely started to do more React work. So we, we're kind of split down the middle now in terms of Angular side of things. And that Angular side of things also does encompass um, Angular 2. Um, we're, we're actually building out the Battle Wrangle, the, the dev tools for Wrangle here, or sorry, the dev tools for Angular too, here at Wrangle. So we do still have a lot of love and, and commitment to Angular boast uh, 2 and 1.x, but we're also in the last quarter or so really started to expand uh, our React use in production too. So I've been fortunate enough to kind of be able to stop doing so much Angular and start to embrace some of the newer yeah, because I noticed on your GitHub, repos- uh, GitHub repo, the emoji game. I think you just committed <laughs> it yesterday, Master. It is amazing. Had a lot oh, of fun. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, How have you been enjoying like, Redux and, uh, and com- combining that with React? It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so, the f- I mean, I was able to actually use Redux and React in production for six weeks, not that long ago here. And, you know, we, 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 it was a new project, a bunch of new people around the team that never had done any Angular or any React so this was completely going to be new to them no matter what. And you could imagine, like, jumping into the Redux, you know, production application would be a few weeks of kind of building up to being able to start delivering features. But, um, I mean, once we got the team kind of up to speed on the architecture, um, just the fact that, you know, Redux pushes all of your side effects to the far edges of your application just allowed us to really, like, accelerate our feature development because we didn't have to worry about all the things we were worrying about in our big Angular MVC uh, projects, like how is state being manipulated here and here and here. There's just a single source of truth now in our one global app state. And it was really easy to build these applications that might, you know, have built up of many components, knowing about the same app state, having those changes propagate down to all the components. Just working in that architecture just alleviated so much stress. Yeah, it it lowers the cognitive, like, overhead so oh, yeah. greatly doesn't it that you really 100%. do think how did i not think this already you know you can kind of look at it from the outside think this is scary because it's not that oh, yeah. similar mvc you know that we're all used to but then when you actually go into it and you're like this just makes sense uh you know and it's it's a really great way you know the it, flux architecture and stuff like that it was just super empowering to just like to be able to come into work sit down and actually work on and build on a feature and not have to spend tons of your time frustrated over you know, just like, you know, issues that you're going to run into into a big code base and just really focused on features and Redux made that possible. Um, That's awesome. And and with Angular, I mean, it's interesting with Angular then, because if you, you had quite a lot of experience, like with Angular 2, am I right in thinking that uh, React, it, has it been heavily influenced, a heavy influence on Angular 2? Or... Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong in thinking that. And, and a lot of, I mean, it's not just Angular. I mean, you, we kind of see it from the, the big three frameworks right now, the Embers, the Angulars, and the Reacts. Like all of these frameworks are kind of starting to become very similar in how they do things and how they think about DOM. And it's just kind of nice. I know, again, jumping back to when I jumped into this, Backbone, Ember, and React being different choices for me, and they were all very different uh, ways of doing things, and you know, I would have had to be locked into one way. I feel like now we're getting really closer to more of a uniform way of looking at. The tried and true. This is, yeah, they're kind of all kind of working out, okay, this works, and then <laughs> going for that, hopefully. <laughs> 
And, and and you definitely see things that are kind of being shared between all of them. Like uh, you definitely see influence of Angular's animations uh, coming over into React, and you see a lot of Ember's um, kind of error messaging and and it's it's very it's philosophy on you know non-breaking um, version updates coming over to both as well. So you, you're starting to see like the best qualities of these frameworks becoming shared amongst each other, which is really nice. And I mean, a good example of that is like routing um, from Angular to Ember to React. There's kind of like this familiar thread going through them all, almost like they're all sharing some high level of the same idea of routing, which is really nice to be able to pivot between projects because you don't always have control on the framework you're working on. And it's nice to not have to completely rejigger your mind every time you jump into a new framework. No, I can imagine that. Yeah, specifically, yeah, if you're going from an Ember app to an Angular app to then a React, and you, it's nice, as you say, to have that familiarity that you can share across all these projects. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I and, then, and I mean, um, so like with the JavaScript stuff, then like, do you use any backend technologies? Is is or is it primarily all JavaScript, even on the server? Yeah, we're a full stack JavaScript company, so we embrace it uh, from the top to the bottom. Brilliant. That's awesome. And, and I suppose one, so then actually talking about the kind of thing I would love to like mention now is that is, so the libraries. So obviously we've got like these frameworks and things like that, but then the libraries such as Lodash and underscore. And I'm sure that when you mentioned backbone, you know, one of those obviously was underscore at that time and then jQueries yep. and all this. And, and now obviously now Ramda's come on the scene. And um, I don't think, I, I mean, I, I learned about, and I'm not sure when you, I don't know whether it's the same, if, if you've been talking about front-end masters, um, is that I learned it from the hardcore functional uh, awesome. master, yeah, front-end yep. master's course. And, and that was my, I was, wow, I have to look at this. This is mind-blowingly yeah. awesome. Uh, I mean, the whole course was absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, but- sh- shout out to Dr. Boolean. He, d- he does an amazing job really making those ideas really digestible. And I actually, that was my gateway into it too through that front-end master's course, Hardcore Functional Programming, a great course, I recommend it. Um, I think I actually ended up seeing one of his YouTube talks um, titled Underscore You're Doing It Wrong, which I also highly recommend, and that kind of led me to the front-end master's stuff, but for me, that's actually where it kicked off. Um, Taking that workshop, well, it's funny because I, I started that workshop, and I think I got through two videos until I kind of like kind of had to step away and was like, this is kind of going yeah, over my head. It's slow. It's, you start off thinking, okay, okay, and then wow. And it all just topples over thinking, yeah, I now need to go back <laughs> and really re- like go through these concepts again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when I first approached that course, um, I still, you know, all the way back from my C days, heavily used for loops for mostly everything I did. And I was, I loved them and, you know, for loops are for loops. But I think one of the first things that um, I kind of learned from that course was kind of to realize that a lot of the loop-in patterns I'm doing can be replaced by just these native functional approaches like filter, map, and reduce. And I didn't kind of know about this at the time, and I kind of like took, I kind of stopped the course at that point and kind of spent some time just like wrapping my mind around what a map, what a reduce, and what a filter is, and like how those act on collections. And, and once I kind of just like, made a habit at my new job to kind of stop writing for loops and for eaches in my code and every anytime I would to just kind of figure see if I could find a way to to do it within a map reducer filter. So for me that was kind of like my step one of trying to get into the whole Ramda thing. And after I kind of started doing that and I did you know get really excited about being able to use those constructs to achieve those uh, same results that I was doing in for loops, I went back to the 
to the to the workshop over at Frontend Masters, and I was able to digest a little bit more before I had to turn it off and back away again. I think that that it's it's the it is really like the tried and true testament of that course that like of a course like that where it does make you really think every you know kind of I think for me as well it was very much that you know you take a you take a chunk out of it and you know to to digest for it for at least a week or so just to yeah. kind of get your right you know and I, I loved it and you know with Ramda and things like that you know they really have I mean that that's kind of matured more as well which is great after it and I suppose. So were you able, once you've like got into that course, was, were other people at your work like interested in that course or they knew about Ramda or did you have to introduce it? Yeah, I, I had to introduce it. So I remember um, I, I was fairly new at my job at this time and I, so I, and I worked with a lot of smart people and I felt like maybe I wasn't the smartest. And so I kind of like at first just assumed like this might be something everybody knows about. And um, so it was something that I started to play with on my own outside of work, but at work, I mean, Lodash was the thing you would use. Um, you know, you would see Lodash stickers on people's laptops. and That's it, yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, Lodash, like, why are you trying to stir the pot with something else? Like, so I didn't even really think about it too much. But I think I think one day, um, so, you know, at Wrangle, every Friday, we kind of do a lunch and learn. You know, the idea is that a developer can talk for, you know, half an hour about something that's interesting them related to front-end or back-end development um, and they can present it to the company and just kind of share that information. So, you know, we tend to encourage everybody to get involved. And I think, you know, one of my first months at the company, my CTO, Yuri kind of, you know, slacked me a message being like, do you want to give a lunch and learn soon? And I'm like, sure. He's like, do you know what you'd want to talk about? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I got this, like, I'm really excited about this workshop I'm doing right now. And, you know, the scope of that workshop is pretty huge. Yep. <laughs> so I couldn't, couldn't really distill that down into 30, yeah, 30 minutes. minutes. That is a very impressive thing uh, to do. <laughs> and I don't think at that time I had even got through like 20% of it without being frustrated and turning it off. Um, so I think I was like, well, the Ramda aspect of this is kind of really nice and kind of easy to kind of section it off of what everything else he's talking about. So I kind of proposed like maybe I could talk about this Ramda library that I've been playing with. And, you know, my CTO had never heard of it. So I, I slacked him the repo. And then this was like on a Friday. And I think uh, sometime in the middle of the weekend, he kind of messaged me. And it was like, he was just like, uh, Andrew, I've been playing with Ramda. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I haven't done anything this weekend except play with Ramda. Definitely do a lunch and learn on this. This is cool. And that kind of like, like I, I, I might have just due to my inexperience, I think, in the industry, I felt a little... I'm, you know, I lacked a little bit of confidence of champion something like a new Lodash replacement, kind of a, a yeah, big cause it, cause order. Yeah, because then you feel like you've got the overhead of what you know. Oh, why is it the best? Like you're not, you're not, you're just giving an alternative. You're not saying it's any better than Lodash. You're just giving this as an alternative. Whereas people may assume, oh, this is someone trying to say champion a new technology onto exactly. our. And that's what I was worried about. But I mean, my CTO kind of being so excited about it, kind of gave me a little bit of. Uh, confidence there to be like yeah this might not be a good thing maybe this is like a library that we're going to like never use and like kind of laugh at maybe i don't know but it's so awesome (laughs) it it seems really cool like we should talk about it and at least look at it at least at very least at a lunch and learn you know if that's a safe place so that's kind of how um it started off for me and i kind of presented that to my company and yeah the takeaway from that was just like a lot of minds being blown and and people just kind of ran with it after that and and they now had something else to go to 
when they were starting up a new project. We even saw it included in a few projects that may have already had the Lodash in them, and then like they Oy, just wanted to they just wanted to have a little bit of a Ramda fun at work while they were doing the Lodash thing. So we saw some weird Frankenstein mashups, but um, I mean, we were we were just exploring exciting things that were happening in the community and experimenting because that's a big component of our job is experimenting with what's that's out there. it finding new things that work and i mean so yeah we've, we've spoken about how it's very similar to low dash and underscore um but i suppose what fundamentally then is ramda mm-hmm. i mean i think uh, the biggest difference is just right out of the out of the gate is usership um i think i looked at the numbers today and yeah i have some here so it looks like last month you know one hundred and thirty-eight thousand people downloaded ramda through npm and you, you contrast that with Lodash, which had over 18 million um, <laughs> NPM installs. So it's a teeny, teeny library. Uh, it's been around for about you know two years, give or take a few months. Um, all starts to blend together now. But you know it's, it hasn't been out that long, and it's, it's teeny compared to the two. So already that's going to be a pretty big, I think, barrier for a lot of people, um, especially people that... If they're well, they look at, at the numbers, don't they, and, and see that, you know, voter confidence based on numbers that this is being used. Oh, yeah. It's like, how could you even think about using Ramda at that point? But, I mean, that's a little unfair. I mean, that's kind of like looking at the through the lens of these libraries are the same thing. Almost more of a Lodash and underscore comparison. And really, they're fundamentally different. They They do encourage two completely different styles of functional programming. Um... Lodash and underscore are very similar, and in a lot of ways, they can be drop-in replacements. You can kind of switch one code base to the other without too much pain. Um, Ramda, you, you could never do that. If if you wanted to re- completely um, change your application from using Lodash to Ramda, a lot of things are going to break. And a big reason for that is, at a funda- fundamental level, the, the libraries kind of have their parameters swapped. So in Lodash and underscore all of their functional uh, methods in their toolkit, they all take the data which you're applying that function on first and then the parameters, where where Ramda reverses this completely and it, it wants all of the parameters related to transforming data first and to plug in the data that this function is going to act on actually last. And it does this order, order different because um, everything in Ramda is curried. And if, I mean... To the to the listeners who don't know what Korean is, it's 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 if you read about it, it might seem a little bit complicated, but I mean very simply put, you know, it's it's just a way of having a function that might take more than one parameters and being able to call that function and just providing some of those parameters. You might not know them all yet. So you can you can call this function and bake in some of the parameters now and have that return a function that's still waiting for the ones you haven't provided yet. So you usually see this a lot. Um, in Ramda, because you can, you can, because the data is going to be the last parameter, you can create these functions that have all the setup already done, and all they're waiting for is the actual data to come in at the end. Um, this this makes it really nice for building out really small functions that do very specific things, and then you can kind of compose them all together to make a bigger um, piece of business logic made up of all these little tiny functions that are all waiting for a piece of data. And because they're all composed together into one new function, and they're all kind of currying, waiting for that data, you can build out this function and then at the very end pass in the data, and it will trickle through all these composed little functions. 
and it's kind of a beautiful thing once you see it i action. think that that is it it is a beautiful thing because like that that course showed was like how awesome it was you know and right. and really because as you say like the low dashes and the underscores and the way that they you know kind of order you know within function uh, arguments and you, you really think why are you doing it this way and like the ability to be able you know uh, you know it's like all the extra overhead of you know say if i do want to be able to you know a pass in the data for this transformation then you know I, I can't easily do it with like a curried version like in ramda i have to now make a new function that i then you know wrap this one in and it does add that complexity that something where you look at this maybe you're thinking oh this looks strange with the currying adds right. simplicity at the end because of how yep. you like you know more ra- you can rationalize it far easier Right, and and I mean, you could do a lot of that stuff in Lodash and uh, underscore with like the chain in methods, but you 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 end up with a lot of uh, you know this dot chain in um, syntax, which usually has to like use kind of wrapper functions, and you you kind of strip all that away when you're just like embracing composition of smaller you know pure functions, and that is really the big difference. Is it, it doesn't it doesn't it, in a way it doesn't force this new way of thinking about kind of. Uh, writing your code, which is, uh, you know, a to utilize the the functional composition idea, um, which is kind of like the big split off between the two. So it's really you need to like want them to be doing that type of thing. Um, so otherwise, would... you're going to probably want to stick with. So, so would you it. say then that this is a complete replacement for the other libraries like low dash and underscore and uh, like because I know you said that you've got some people who are using a bit of both in some, you know. Is that could it could it have been completely switched over to Ramda or and it, it was just a it definitely could. So a lot of the using both were just big code bases that had a lot of code already kind of powered by a lot of the the toolkit aspects of underscore. So you know, just those helper ranges and max and is array. You have all these helper functions in underscore and lodash. You also have these same helper functions in Ramda though. They're just gonna be, you know, curried and and gonna work a little differently. But at the heart of it, like they're sharing a lot of the same helper functions. So you really don't need both. You, you, you just need one or the other. So a lot of the Greenfield projects we kicked off, either back-end or front-end, uh, we got to a point where we were just including Ramda. And it really it was a personal preference to the developers on the project. It's not to say that we only used Ramda in production, but we actually had a lot of projects that people opted to go with the Ramda and not use any underscore Lodash. Um, so cool. It was super cool seeing that. And of course, we had some that did have both, but that was mostly just to not break the whole application. Legacy, I suppose, yeah. So legacy. And they were just so excited to use Ramda and to optimize some areas of their code around that style of programming that it seemed like a benefit. So, so um, how did you find that um, the code actually looked? You know, like, uh, was it easier to read, easier to write? Like, once you under- got your head around Ramda and, and you know, what, how it works, yeah, the code, so- it was easier. It, it was definitely easier. So it, it seemed before we were writing a lot of these like kind of imperative uh, functions that were just like really big and doing a lot of things. And Randa really helped us kind of compartmentalize some of that logic into just small little specific functions that did some specific transformation. Um, you know, an example of this could be, you know, working with kind of like a payload from the back end. We'd get some big data JSON. And all we really want to do is like pluck off certain um, keys off that object and maybe strip off, you know, some other things and do some transformations on some properties. 
But at the end, we just want to take that big JSON, do some transformations, and kind of reduce it down to something we want to use in like the like a profile screen or something. So using Ramda just made it really easy to create really specific functions that did some of these operations, like uh, pluck off the user object from um, some other object, and then we would have that, and we could reuse that throughout other um, kind of endpoint utilities that would need the same thing. And at the end of it, we just kind of building up all these little functions that we would compose together and push kind of the payload through. And then at the other end would come the massage transform data that we need to do something with, like a D3 chart or, or some type of template. In. So it really helped to get rid of these big uh, kind of messy functions into small, really pure functions. And, you know, that that's great on the surface. That makes it really easy for somebody else to come in. And, you know, if they need to change, like, the sorting of some to-do list that we we kind of chopped off, it's really easy to just to find the one function that does the, the sorting and just kind of change it right there. And, and you know it's being composed later on, and it's really easy to just kind of make little small tunes and changes to, like, your bigger uh, functions. But the beautiful thing, too, is when you cut all these things out into small little pure functions, it kind of makes it laughable to unit test. That's so, what I was just about to ask. Yeah, how easy is this now to test? Because of these small, really uh, understandable, easily tra referentially transparent, I'm assuming, functions, it must be so much easier. It's so nice. It's like night and day. I, I used to, I mean, when I started this job, I didn't have a lot of experience doing unit testing. It's not something I was training myself when I was trying to get up to speed with the, the JavaScript. So jumping into my job and, you know, being kind of um, responsible for providing test coverage for my work, um, the fact that I was already making my programs composed out of these little parts made it really easy to just grab these little parts and test them. Because since they're pure functions, you know, data is going to come in and come out, and it's always going to come in and out the same, it's always going to come out the same way based on what I pass in. So these unit tests are really easy. Um, you know, if I'm unit testing a very pure function, I know exactly what it needs to do. And the assertions that I have to write around it are very predictable and and, and just very easy to reason about. Um, and that's one of the great things about Ramda, isn't it? That it does favor immutability uh, and, you know, that, you know, it doesn't change your data. It will give nope. you a new copy, which, again, for testing is beautiful because you then and also for rationalizing someone who's using this library, you now know, OK, they're not it's not going to do some funky thing within there it will be giving me a new copy exactly. And, exactly and i was just wondering could you say about these small functions how do you because i mean if you now you've been doing it in production you know at scale within a small confine like what i've been doing playing around with it just in a, like a little workbench kind of examples playing around i was wondering how do you structure such an application is it just very heavily modules exporting functions that way um and you know that kind of thing it's definitely evolved so i think at the start we kind of were seeing a bit of a, a spaghetti code mix of, you know, declarative functional st styles kind of being mixed in with OOP. So it was kind of like a little bit of both. It was just like you would sprinkle the, the RAM to some places, uh, which was a little weird at first, but then we kind of started to get to this, like, let's build all these utility functions that kind of will import these func this functionality so we can, you know, reuse it, make it easy to test outside of our... Angular controllers and services kind of have a little bit of a separation there. And a lot of the time you're building like truly really uh, reusable Ramda kind of uh, uh, composed functions, usually just built out of like Ramda functions. So like, for example, like, um, you know, I might have like a, a sort by date function, which 
really will just be a Ramda.compose of like Ramda sort by function and it's uh, the Ramda prop it's, function. It doesn't feel like you're coding at all, does it? It doesn't feel you're providing, it, it, as you say, it's that composition of just what's there already. It's, it's the a building map, blocks. It, it's kind of, it's beautiful. It's like, you know, you need to, you know, do something to some piece of data. So you just kind of look through the Ramda library and say, what type of things could, like, here are pre-made blocks. And I'm just going to snap them together like with like Lego and build something that I can use with the specific data I have. And you already and know they're heavily tested, the Ramda functions. So you can bet, you know, you can really see it, you know, be you know, confident on that. And as you say, yeah, you're not just reinventing the wheel all the time with, like, say, something like a sort by date or something. It, exactly. It, it's You save so much time. And then it's really easy because, like, I might be sorted by, like, you know, a prop, like, due date. And, like, maybe, you know, the sort needs to now sort by some other uh, item in that object. So, like, if somebody's got to augment that, it's really just a matter of changing one parameter that's getting pushed into the sort by date. It's really, like, easy to see that. It's not like you have to, like, look through kind of, like, nested if statements and make sure you're changing the same thing in two places or you don't have any of that, like, kind of um, boilerplate code wrapping. So you kind of get away from a lot of common mistakes you get with sometimes maintaining um, code, which is really nice. So That's awesome. Uh, and, and and have you found that you've used it more on the server side or the client side? Because I know it's probably more, like, because we're talking about these data transformations and I suppose you could kind of you know, look at everything as a tra- transformation if you really wanted. But have you found it favorable f- for the server or the client? Initially, we were we were really excited about it as a front end uh, library, and uh, specifically for you know taking some type of JSON data and transforming it for something like D three. So in those cases, you know exactly what D three needs. You know what you got from your your backend. It's just how now can I do very, that? Tra- yeah, yeah, easily do that transformation. And Ramda was like excellent for that type of task. So the big reason why we were kind of hesitant on the back end was we do a lot with promises. And initially, um, what that meant was we were writing, you know, our standard HTTP kind of get calls, get, let's get a promise, let's unwrap it, and then provide that response we got from the promise into like a Ramda machine, some com- bunch of composed functions. Um, so it was kind of convoluted at a point where we had to have, we had two operations pretty much, get the promise, unwrap it, and then pass it to Ramda. So my CTO was kind of not too excited about that. So I think like the second week of him playing with Ramda, he decided to send a pull request into the library and he kind of got us, uh, it's called Compose P and Compose yes. IP. He, oh, I have to thank you then personally, <laughs> but you, cause that is, that is one of the massive sales for me. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, like, we wanted this on our back end. We, just like we were transforming our JSON data to D3 usable data, uh, we wanted to do the same thing with our, our, our database calls, transform it for an endpoint, for example. It's very similar. We have some piece of data structure that we want to transform a bit and send it through to our front end app via our endpoint. And to do this, we were usually, you know, creating a lot of like imperative code. It was kind of messy. So we were really excited to use Ramda for this. So yeah, once we kind of committed the compose promise um, version into the library, it kind of blew up here at Ringle as a backend library because now the backend developers could make very easy testable, uh, uh, reusable and maintainable code for some of this like uh, database to JSON, uh, database to endpoint um, 
functions and they didn't need to skip a beat. If some function within that composition was the HTTP call and went off and got the data, the compose, Rambo's compose will wait for the promise to, to resolve before sending it down the, the chain. Cleans so, up so much. Cleans beautiful. Up. Yeah. I mean, that is great. And, and I think that's, you know, like being able to do that because you can't, you know, obviously we've got from callback hell to promise. I mean, this has cleaned up promises for me a lot. So um, one actually other thing I'd like to talk about with Ramda, um, and we've been talking about it a little bit, and it's heavily kind of documented and described in the documentation, is type transformations. And it's, it's actually quite funny because I don't know if you've been feeling the same way. What I now start doing is actually going further higher up, higher level than the function and what that's doing, and just looking at transformations of types. Hmm. And I'm just wondering, is that kind of what you've been thinking? Like, how do you kind of scr- like kind of uh, design or think up a design or kind of how you're going to build like certain functionality using Ramda? Is it going straight for the what what calls you're going to be doing or does it that you do go into thinking okay I want a type that's probably going to return that to that then that to that and think of this pipe as you would actually probably implement it in Ramda? So so you've probably been doing this a little better than than I have then. Um, so I've been actually um, we, we've kind of been ignoring some of the type stuff that Ramda's doing um, and there, you're right there's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, it seemed what was happening was right before we started to really like look into that, you know, our Angular work was starting to utilize TypeScript, which we kind of decided to utilize the TypeScript library to handle the typing and some of that. How, how did that go on a side note? How did that go? Because I've, I've heard really good things from type about TypeScript. I'm just wondering, is uh, it good? So I can't speak on the TypeScript side of things. So in the React side of our company, you know, we, 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 we do take typing serious, which is awesome. And, so for the Angular stuff, you know, the two and some of the transitional Angular 1 to 2 work we do, we do heavily use type and people love it. Um, so it's, it's, it's gotten great feedback in terms of the people actually working with it. So on the React side of things, we've started to utilize flow as our type um, check-in, which I personally have played a little bit with and, and I really love. So we kind of find ourselves now in an awkward position where we just, we're, we're kind of using um, Ramda less and less than we were a year ago based on some of these newer um, architectures that we're using. So that being, we're using more of the TypeScript library where we, there's a lot of things in TypeScript that is kind of like in Ramda. So we've, we're outside of the fundamental way of thinking about it. Um, we've kind of lost that to TypeScript. And in the React side of things, um, working with like the immutable um, library and and flow and just like kind of native JavaScript map reduce and filter kind of gets us a lot of the way as well. So it's kind of like, interestingly enough, the last kind of, you know, this is a podcast on Ramda, but it's kind of, we're, I'm kind of in a weird area right now where I don't even know really too well how to utilize it too much in my current stacks. Um, where when I was doing my Angular point X work, it was a heavy component of it. And now it seems like the things I've learned and the things we've learned doing Ramda, we might not be using Ramda's library to do it, um, but we're bringing You're that taking the concepts. No, I think, yeah. I think that that's another thing. I mean, even if it's, you know, that's why I was sort of very interested where you're saying that you're using it in production and stuff, because what I've been able to do is really not because it's it is, as you say, so different. And uh, it's very interesting. You're talking about like the type and how you're using flow and for like things like the React stuff and then TypeScript. And um, yeah, React, for, uh, oh, sorry, Ramda for me is kind of a way of thinking as well, yep. you know, and, and as you say, like with the things like the ES6 editions and Immutable JS, yeah. you're able yeah. to get 
quite a way, you know, and it it's far less overhead for someone to think you know it's very much then the thinking it's like how you're going to write that code as opposed to oh i've got this massive library here now you know it's a it's an easier selling point yep but i mean oh sorry carry on no it it does it seems to be more um used more in the back end code now in like specific utility functions and stuff like that than in my front end redux react work uh that could change as like you know that develops more and more and more how we do things but we, that being said, I mean, new uh, people that join Wrangle and junior developers, a part of the training that we do provide them through is to teach them Ramda because, as you're saying, it really helps to kind of... Yeah, um, absolutely. Just to really turn on some lights to some different ways of thinking about code that you may have never thought about. And um, for me, like, this was this really um, kind of... Um, this really kind of shined for me when... Um, Early on in my career, I wanted to learn, this is the JavaScript career, so not that long ago, but I was really interested in Clojure, yeah. Clojure script, and, um, you know, because I was looking at all this stuff Dr. Boolean was doing with bringing a lot of cool Haskell and Clojure ideas and, and tools to JavaScript, that really excited me, and I was like, well, what are these other languages where it's coming from? And I, I, t- I wanted to explore them, and I wanted to learn Clojure, and I sat down a few times to try and I and I and just like those early, you know, vid- like videos in the front end master hardcore functional programming workshop, I would kind of like hit a roadblock, a conceptual roadblock, and I kind of would just get frustrated and kind of stop, and and kind of go back to it a few months later and fail again. So I mean, after spending like a few months writing Ramda and composing curried functions, something that to me only existed in Ramda. I know it's an old idea that's been around for a long time. But in terms of me using it, it's something that I only used in Ramda. So when I jumped back into Clojure, uh, a Clojure script project kind of came down in front of me that I needed to learn to kind of work on. So I felt this would be another good time to try to learn Clojure script and Clojure. And it seemed jumping into it this time with a bit of a Ramda background and and more generally a a composition and a Korean foundation, uh, you know, the, it was. It almost felt like I was doing something I already knew how to do, and for me, that was a that was a super amazing moment. Something I struggled with before, just walking away from it for a few months, building front end, you know, JavaScript with Ramda, and then coming back to this thing I thought was so complicated, but now completely understanding how conceptually it's working, just allowed me to now kind of actually get my hands dirty with closure and that felt really rewarding so I, I we see it as a very valuable tool to kind of at least get people like not maybe like gun ho about like i was but at least like familiar with and have an idea of like maybe do a few exercises with it just so that they have that idea of this is a different style of programming because you're going to see it in the other more functional languages but you're also going to see it in a lot of these functional uh frameworks and libraries coming out like Redux, which is built completely around composing reducers. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and like you're saying, like with ClojureScript and other languages like PureScript, um, the syntax can be quite, you know, if you're not used to Lisp dialects or Haskell or things like that, it's quite intimidating. And oh, yes. it's it's like you're learning that, and also you're learning these new concepts which they take for granted within those languages. And something like you know Ramda, where you're still able to use, you know kind of have an escape hatch out and i'm like okay this is real, this is just javascript okay this is just javascript yep. wow this is mind blown but it's just javascript still and you yep. can still kind of and that's why i really enjoyed about that court the that you know video series was 
this is still just JavaScript. There's no, yep. you know, transpiling here. There's no magic. There's no other languages. It is just JavaScript, and we're just using these libraries. Um, and yeah, it allows you then to, you know, get this knowledge and get this idea, get these ideas cemented before then you take the next step, as you, you know, you deal with like closure script and then learn that and be like, oh, okay, this is similar and find the similarities as opposed to seeing all the differences. Definitely, and and I've seen it the, the other way, like showing Ramda to people who've done closure script and closure, being like. Oh, this is a beautiful library. That's really cool. Um, it's just kind of funny that that you can extend your your um, you can extend your learnings into things you didn't even think that you would know just by kind of thinking a little bit differently sometimes. And, and one thing is, so with with the, the work that you actually did put in production, I'm just wondering, and particularly on the client side, was I was just wondering, how did it perform? Because I know that your auto current nature and things like that. How, how's the code to debug and stuff like that? Is it very cryptic? Or is it quite understandable with server logs? Well, not server logs, but you know, client logs, etc., like that coming down the pipe. Yeah, it can definitely be a little bit more awkward, uh, and that's probably you could hit it as an, a negative. Now, there's ways around that and 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 whatnot, but for the most part, um, we tended to not have too many bugs in our big, massive, uh, you know, compositions because we're unit testing all the little parts that make it up. So we're kind of safe there. Now, of course, when you push data into this big machine you've just created, that's a pretty, like, you know, you've created this piece, this function composed of a lot of other little functions. You know the little functions are tested, sure, but now that you're, like, finally pushing data through this machine, the data might be not formatted correctly, something could blow up. But by kind of, like, following this kind of pattern, you've really isolated in your code only like one place where things can blow up based on the data coming in, like in this massive function you've created composed of other functions. So sometimes I would just wrap that in a try catch and kind of kind of work around it like that. Um, usually though, like, uh, you know, especially on the back end, you might have, you know, a piece of data that's going to follow through some uh, function you've created composed of little transformations to kind of massage data a bit. And, you know, that might be made up of a bunch of little steps. And you can console log what goes in, you can console log what goes out, but there could be a lot of things happening in between there, and there could be weird stuff happening. You want to just make sure things are going on correctly. So I found a pretty common thing we would do, and I think this did come out of the workshop, um, the front-end master's workshop, but the idea of creating a helper log pure function, which really just takes data and returns data. That's it. It does a side effect of whatever and then goes back and returns it. Just goes back and return, and that little side effect is just like can be anything from a debugger to like a console.log. Yep. So you kind of will get a snapshot of your data, your your app state or your data state changing in every iteration of the functions that make up the bigger function. So you can get a really nice kind of outline of how the the transformations your data went through. Um, very similar to kind of like Redux in the sense that you have a bunch of actions that fired and you're just tracing through them and reducing down to a new state. It's kind of that same idea, but you kind of have to wire it all up yourself. You don't get like a nice handy logger out of the box um, to do this for you. Um, so there was a little awkwardness around some of the um, kind of like the, the debugging techniques we were familiar with up to this point didn't all work. So there was a little bit of awkwardness there, but for the most part, breaking up the comp breaking up those things into small little uh, composable functions did really help us in terms of isolating side effects and isolating where things could go wrong. So we weren't ex- looking all over the code base for that weird error. We knew it was probably going to happen right here. 
That's really awesome. And and one one other question about Rounder is kind of, I mean, I suppose, are you using it on a day-to-day basis still then within the code bases that you've got? Um, as of like three months ago, no. So for a good year and, and a half there, yes. Every day I would be working with Rambda to some degree. Within the last three months, I've, I've kind of taken more of a, a position in my company as like kind of like uh, kind of training uh, us in like Redux and React and stuff like that. So I haven't needed to do it as much. I haven't been doing as much production work, but it's definitely... I talk to people regularly that still use it every day. So, and I think that's cool, though. I say, I, because I, I, I think I'm taking the same thing as you, where you know, I don't know whether I'm. I mean, you, you've actually, you know, luckily and and have you know, personally, and actually been able to use it in production. And I'm thinking whether I'd be able to use it in production or not. I still think the ideas that it gives are so valuable that I think you know, as you you use with you know, juniors, people coming into your company, you know, you you teach them at least a bit or an understanding of this to blow their mind a little bit because that's the awesome <laughs> thing about te- you know yep. that's the best thing about technologies is when it blows your mind and you're just like this is insane oh um, yeah i suppose when is there anything else uh, uh, within ramda that you you really like like other than you know i know the currying and things like that like i mean the the breadth of how many functions and stuff do you feel that there there could be additions do you feel that you've always had to like repeat some you know bit of functionality that on top of it that could be in the in the core now there has been some things that I don't recall what they're at this time, but things along the way, they'd be like, oh, that'd be a really good helper function to have in Ramda. And then somebody would be like, yeah, it's in underscore. It's in Lodash. It's got, it might be in Ramda. It's not like a true one-to-one, but a lot of the stuff is shared. So that, that's great. But the things that aren't, the, the Ramda team um, has a good reason for it not being in there. They're very... Um, very specific and they're very um, strict about the type of functions that they do allow in and they, they want them to be very functional and they're, they're, you know, they're doing a very serious, awesome job in building Ramda. So there are going to be some things that are missing. You might need to roll your own and even if you think they might be great in the library, they, they might not get in just based on something those can, those developers could probably talk better than I could about why they're not in. They have but, valid reasons for why they don't feel it should go in there. Oh, yeah. And if and if you, there's something that seems so obvious, check the issues or check the PRs. There's probably somebody that did try to push it. And there's going to be like a really, really interesting co- probably conversation around it. I know for us to get that composed P in the library took a little bit of... Um, little nudging, yep. <laughs> a little bit of like, this would be awesome. And... There were some good reasons from a functional toolkit perspective, especially one that embraces like this uh, very specific style of functional programming um, for it not to be in. But at, at the end of the day, like working with promises just kind of overruled a lot of that and it made the library more usable as a result. So, the, the, I mean, if you got a great idea, try to definitely get it in to Ramda. Um, it, it could definitely happen. But uh, for the most part, there's something in there for every problem I need to solve. Um, but there, like, there's, there's some, um, there has been some times I, I can't recall of anything now, but I mean, check the Ramda docs. And usually when I'm sitting down to solve a problem, I will just look through that table of contents to see if anything jumps out at me as some piece of functionality that I can use. That's but it. It's a great documentation. I really do love the docs. Oh yeah. And, and just, just cause I wanted to mention going back to what we were just saying about, um, kind of a, getting excited about this stuff and kind of like um, encouraging you and, ins- and inspiring the some of our n- newer employees. Um, just from people that have never seen it before that have used it in production, even after, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve because it's different than what they're used to. But I mean, 
all the feedback I've gotten from people is just usually over like just amazing. Like this is such a cool, like I love just composing stuff or I love thinking about my code in this way. Like this has made me better at this and this. And it seems like, because honestly, like when when we started using Ramda, I didn't have plans to push it into production. I just you didn't plan world domination, but you did. No, <laughs> you just I just thought it cool. was a fun thing to do, and, <laughs> and it kind of blew up. And I was a little like nervous, like maybe people aren't going to actually like this style. And I had no idea. Maybe this is just the way my brain works. But it it seemed like the feedback has been like, you know, even if they don't use it, only if they use it for like three weeks on a project and then they never use it again for whatever reason, the feedback's always the same. Like, I, I love that I got to play with that because I feel like I'm a better developer because of it. And it, was, it, it wasn't that difficult. Like, I didn't have to do much. I just had to play with JavaScript in a slightly different way. And it's, it's, it's been awesome, especially like now that I've started to do more React and Redux training here. A lot of those ideas... I was going to say, yeah, because as we were talking, Redux really does, you know, this idea of just, it's just a reduce and, you know, that composability that you get from Ramda at such an extreme. I think that that helps as yes. well because it's such an extreme. You It feels easier, you know, when you come back to be like, okay, this is because I've gone to the, the end where it's just always been composability. Yep. You know, you can you can weigh it up and, and see the value of like, okay, do I want to be able to compose this? Do I not? You know, like you're able to be more intelligent in your decisions because yep. you've been able to do both. Definitely, definitely. And uh, you're going you're, you're gonna to run into all interesting types of use cases of compose and redux from composing your reducers to compose in actions. It's just really fun. And it's it's something that we don't need to kind of relook at because everybody's like, I know compose. That's, That's exactly it. Yeah, they've learned it that, well, the hard way in quotes or the best <laughs> way of just using it all the time, you know, and being able to use it in, in a library that caters towards that as opposed to, as you say, like low dashes and things which use this idea of chaining, which is kind yep. of hacked on at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say actually with like low dash and could you ever see ECMAScript, well JavaScript ECMAScript kind of employing more of the things that are available within these libraries because you know having this extra overhead on top I think we always seem to just be creating these you know I mean obviously round is a very much a different use case because of how different it is but the low dashes and underscores um, have you ever you know felt like maybe that would be within JavaScript's remit of being able to include it? Or do you feel it's nice having those libraries that then are able to evolve in different stages and have different rates of change? It's an interesting question. Um, I think, right, I mean, like a year ago when, you know, ES6 was not, you know, in yet and it was just up and coming and it was really cool, like the future. I remember looking at that and seeing a lot of like, like, like the bringing over of like the class syntax to kind of um, sugar some of that up. And, and it, I felt like there was like a lot of like OOP concepts kind of being introduced into JavaScript. And I remember at the time I was like really getting into this, all these like the specific style of functional programming in JavaScript that uh, the fantasy land spec people. That's it. Yeah. Point free programming. <laughs> point free programming. All the stuff that, you know, Dr. Boolean's doing at Luplicure. And, and you see in his lib, in his repo, like lenses and, and monads and all these really cool ideas. Um, I, I remember thinking, oh, I wish like JavaScript natively did a lot of more of these things. And you know what? Like, who knows? Like, maybe, you know, ECMAScript is like a, a yearly release now. 
So maybe in, in the future you could see some of that. Um, I mean, I'm happy. We, we got native map filter reduce. Yes. So for, for me, that's a huge win. And um, for me, that's a lot of what I'm doing now, especially in my React work. So um, I, I'm happy to see just even that. But in terms of all this other stuff, I think it's okay. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like when I do mess with some of that fantasy land spec, like maybes and futures, like these are really cool ideas. But like, I don't know if they if they belong in JavaScript. Like, I'm not the person who should really be figuring that out. But I love that I can be one of the people that pioneer it and try it out. That's and, it. Try and it out and show that. other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, maybe this could become a really big thing. And I know, and like, the functional programming buzzword within the JavaScript ecosystem has definitely exploded. Um, and and there seems to be a lot of interest there, especially a lot of these like new frameworks and libraries coming out and 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 us existing also with closure script not that far away from us you know they're compiling down to us they're doing a lot of cool things and a lot of what they're doing is implementing a lot of these let's call them hardcore functional programming uh techniques so we see it on the other line so if you really wanted to you could jump over do some closure script and kind of be in that world um but i i, I tend to could i could see javascript kind of being shaped over the year, next few years, on um, some of the, like what's happening in a closure script space, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything that's not accurate, but I do believe, uh, you know, you know, Dan Amaroff was a little bit inspired by a lot of the dev tools that were happening in the closure script space, and he wanted to bring some of that enjoyment and and lack of frustration in in their suites into JavaScript. So I think it's very likely uh, we could see some of it trickle down as it's pioneered and, and used and explored more in more so these other Elms and Closure Script-like languages. Um, and then maybe the spec writers, as they play with that, will, will kind <laughs> that's of... It, they'll find it, they'll allow it in. Now, yeah. well, that's brilliant. But thank you so much again for coming on the show and taking the time. Um, no and, you know, I, I hope, yeah, the rest of your day goes well. But and it's been a really great episode talking about Ramda and, and actually a lot more other things as well. I mean, it'd be great to get you on again to talk about you know, Angular and ClojureScript and all these other cool technologies. Because I think, as you say, like, you know, Ramda really chucks you in at the deep end within the JavaScript uh, kind of functional thing. But then, you know, exploring other languages that compile down to JavaScript, like, you know, the Clojure scripts and TypeScripts would be a really great discussion point. Definitely. I would love to come back and talk about those things. Awesome. All right, well, audience, well, it's been another great episode. Um, and yeah, we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe. <laughs>